on the Dallas Opera Network. You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's Opera Box Score. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined on America's talk radio show about opera by Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Ashley Hardgrave. All right, this week, we go inside the huddle with Kimon Marat. The countertenor is on a fast rise to stardom after participating in a public masterclass with Joyce DiDonato and winning a series of competitions, including Houston Grand Opera's Concert of Arias earlier this month. Oliver asks about the viral video he made with his twin brother, Kimon. And for the first time on OBS, our guest curates a playlist for you, the fans. Plus, two-minute drill... Sonia Yoncheva receives the keys to the city. We'll tell you which one. And before we get into it, to all of you in the city of Dallas and in the state of Texas, we love you. Oliver Camacho, excited about the Australian Open as it progresses? Oh, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> it is progress. It progresses faster. It, it, it progresses yes. all the way to the end. <laughs> I mean, the outcome. The two champions were completely expected, but there was a lot of excitement along the way, especially quarterfinal round when uh, Serena Williams gave a clinic uh, in her defeat of Simona Halep, who's ranked higher than her. It was, I mean, Simona Halep is a, a, a real grinder, but she had nothing. She had nothing against Serena Williams. And there was an amazing match between my boyfriend, Stefano Tsitsipas, who came down from two sets to beat Rafael Nadal in five sets. It was brilliant. Uh, he lost in his semifinal match to the eventual winner, but um, it was really fun to watch that. Actually, um, Stefano Tsitsipas lost to Daniel Medvedev, who lost to Novak Djokovic. So I always think of whoever Noted I want. Noted COVID to get... denier Novak Djokovic. Noted. <laughs> whoever okay. I want to win has to be defeated by the person who eventually wins. So. Uh, that wasn't a great outcome for me, but Stefano Tsitsipas, man, ugh, Greek god, he's like Achilles. <laughs> Matt Cummings, how's your Greek week been? You know, nothing in comparison to that, gotta say. <laughs> Weston Williams, looking great over in the uh, Studio B over there. Thank you. I haven't been able to do laundry in a week because my uh, the back stairs are, to the laundry room are completely frozen. Excellent, excellent. Ashley Hardgrave, what what's up on the Instagrams right now? Uh, my new favorite everything is this thing called MLB Minis. Um, this this guy, <laughs> he's a he's a pitcher, he's a baseball player, uh, from Nebraska Wesleyan, uh, and he photoshops uh in these baseball shots. He photoshops the main player to be very very tiny while the rest of it stays large. Uh, in one month, it's gone totally <laughs> viral. He has fifteen thousand followers, and now professional baseball players in the MLB are DMing him being like, do me, me next, me next. Uh, so yeah, MLB <laughs> minis on Instagram. Definitely worth your time. Good job, Hayden Parker. The NHL is probably the league of my favorite sport above all else. Huge hockey fan. 
Uh, the annual outdoor game this year on the sunny shores of Lake Tahoe was a bit of a mess. COVID-depleted rosters and sunny conditions melting the ice and having the two games of the weekend having to be rescheduled and shifted around. So it was a, it was a kind of a, a sloppy mess out there. Uh, but the NHL is just struggling right now in general, not least the Detroit Red Wings. But we'll, we'll say no more about them. Let's talk some opera. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. So we here at Opera Box Score are tastemakers. And one so of the true. only uh, artists we've interviewed very early in their career has been Elena Villalon, who after we interviewed her went on to win the Met National Council Finals and now is enjoying a really great career just at the very start. Uh, I would like to introduce you all to another singer who I think is definitely going to make it uh, just in this year alone. So many things have happened for him, even though we're in a pandemic. He's a countertenor. His name is Kimon Mara. You might have heard of him or seen his video that's gone viral of him with his brother singing uh, all night, all day, uh, a spiritual. Um, he also participated in the Rossini Challenge. If you were following that hashtag that Larry Brownlee started the the competition, the Rossini Run Challenge. Uh, but we talked about him last week uh, because he won Houston Grand Opera's Concert of Arias competition. And we begin our conversation right there. The Concert of Arias was very amazing. Um, the faculty there, um, they were so supportive. Mm -hmm. um, they made sure that even though it's a competition and it's an audition, that you're going to leave there change in a better direction. Hmm. So they really put um, their all in all of the singers, um, you know, with coachings, um, um, preparing for the auditions um, as much as they could. So, you know, we will be okay, even no matter what happens after the competition. So I really had a, a great time there. Did you get to meet Tamara Wilson while you were there? A little bit, only on the concert. So um, at the end of the concert, you know, we have, um, uh, you know, pictures and everything. I got to, you know, say hi and introduce myself to her. She's hilarious, by the way. She's been on our show and she's super down to earth. So, mm -hmm. um, so you said to me before we started recording that you had also won some other competitions recently. Can you tell us about a, a couple of other ones that might be? I know you were, uh, you finals, you were finalist in your region for the Met. Is that what happened? Yeah, I was a finalist um, in my region. So yeah, I was a semi-finalist semi for the Met um, earlier this year. Um, and then I won the um, the Camille Coloratura competition. And I was one of the grand winners of the Premier Nayab competition. Oh. Um, and I recently... I think I'm okay to say this right now, um, but <laughs> we're not supposed to really say anything until the future, but I've won second place in a um, oratorial competition okay. that will come out in the future. Yeah. As well, well if, as you, if you find out, you can't say it, which is beep. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, another thing that has brought you to a larger profile has been this masterclass you did, which is now available on Medici TV that you did with, with Joyce DiDonato. Can you talk about how you got that experience and what it was like working with her on TV? That was 
that whole time was magical. So that was in the beginning of me becoming a countertenor. I just did my first young artist program. Um, Red River Lyric Opera was a, a really great pay to sing. Um, and I got my first role, um, first role and first role as a countertenor. Um, so I just came from that. And um, I just auditioned because I've always liked, loved the, the master classes. So mm-hmm. um, I just auditioned Cindy and my two arias and they sent me an email and I called everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just so surreal, you know, and it, you know, it made me feel good because, you know, it's like, okay, I'm doing something right. So when I got there, um, it was my first time in New York and everything. Um, and, um, so how the program works is that you get a couple of days, um, you're there, you're there for three days. Um, and they kind of treat it like a, a very short young artist program. So mm-hmm. you will work all day, um, with, um, Joyce, um, and some other faculty. Um, and then at the end of that day, you will have the master class. Um, so during that whole time, I learned so much from her. Um, Because you you all just get to see the masterclass, but Mm. it's an ongoing thing during that whole time. So I learned more about myself, learned more about my voice and what I can do, what I couldn't do at that time. Um, And did she know that you had just made a switch from tenor? She did not know. Okay. You know, it was it was her and. when I, uh, she heard all the, um, the things, she was just impressed. And she was like, where have you been? And I was like, I haven't been anywhere. I've you know, only been a countertenor for like six months. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, and she is just like you see on the TV. She's very caring. You know, she gives her all to- She loves whatever. teaching. She loves teaching. Wow. So yeah, um, she's, you know, what you see is what you get from her. In, it's, it's great. Now, I mean, opportunities like that, um, I think people don't fully appreciate how hard they are for the singer actually to be coached in real time you know, and from mm-hmm. an audience and how sometimes we cannot uh, implement, you know, what's being taught in that moment. We actually need a moment to like go work it out, you know, but to mm-hmm. have to do that in front of a camera <laughs> forever. Um, but also who might be in the audience and not even just the audience at Carnegie Hall, but who might be um, watching the video and how that might create other opportunities and for people to see, oh, that's how it's like to work with Kimon, you know, like he doesn't, mm-hmm. take, he doesn't take coaching well or he, he, or he takes that direction really well and like mm-hmm. we can really mold him, you know? So there's a lot of pressure in those things and uh, I don't, I would never want to do a masterclass that's being filmed. <laughs> that's <kind of. laughs> So God bless you for that. So we just talked about you making a transition from tenor to counter tenor, but your brother, your twin brother is also a tenor. Yep. He is a so tenor. Was there, was there a time when you were both singing like tenor duets? Are there tenor duets that you guys used to do? The only tenor duet that we did was like sound the trumpet. Yeah. Which is actually a counter tenor duet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's not many out there, yeah. you know, um, we did do like, we did a poor game best and we were both, um, um, we were understanding each other. So we were double cast at the, at mm-hmm. the same moment. So other than that, <laughs> that 
that's all we've what, done. Sport in life? Um, Mingo. Okay. Mm -hmm. But we used to be in a boys' choir where we were both sopranos. Okay. Um, and but I was a soprano up until I auditioned for school. And he was like, uh, I'm gonna do alto. And then maybe he was like, you know, but yeah. So I, I, I stuck with it and he just went on down. So you've been singing for a long time. And um, by the way, we're gonna listen to this video, which I'm sure everybody's heard by now, but it doesn't hurt to hear it again. Uh, this is your brother and you singing all night, all day. And uh, came on is accompanying both of you at the keyboard. Yes. How many times has that been watched at this point? Do you know? I think it's around the 134,000 <laughs> right now. So I'm just happy. Every day I look back and I was like, oh, oh okay, another, okay. Well, I'm the, just, I'm the, blend, the blend is great. The, the feel is great, but you're just going off it's like you're in a different world when you're singing that and um it's just so joyful but i just i remember the first time i saw it like just my my jaw was on the floor like i had no idea that you could sit down and sing like that like that's the type of singing that i need to do standing up if i'm even gonna try <laughs> <laughs> it just you make it look so easy um is it that gospel music just is now part of your dna or is that song part of your dna like Yes, um, like the gospel music is just easier for us just to get, you know, get through no matter what key it may be yeah. in. You know, we just, uh, it just feels comfortable. Um, and I believe the first time we heard someone sing it um, in an operatic way was um, uh, Larry, Larry Brown. Brownlee, first. yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, he kills that thing. So yeah, ours is a little bit different. Um, but it was like, yeah, there was a, an inspiration there. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you have you have some other videos. Uh, I think the Mozart Laudamus Te is also a fantastic listen. And then I don't know what year you did this, Rosie. You said you've only been singing countertenor for a minute, but you sing um, Arsace's aria and Capoletta Aquel Giorno. And mm -hmm. what, what are you? You said a high 
C at the end? Or uh, be, na be natural? It's a be natural at the okay. end. It sounds so high in your voice. I, I mean, I know that a lot of the mezzos and Marilyn horns, you know, go, go for that note, but in your voice, it sounds like a high Q or something like <laughs> Are you going how high do you do you feel like your your voice can go like on stage on stage mm -hmm. um i think i will feel comfortable singing no more than a than a high d a high d okay <laughs> yeah on, on, on stage we don't know anything above that i can't trust it <laughs> yeah. have you ever done anything higher than a b uh, in a performance than a b oh yeah, yeah. Um, when I did um, um, Montezuma and I was at Scrano, my aria had a D in there. Um, my Amovia Rondro that I sing, I, I put a D in there as well. Mm, Jesus. Um, so the coloratura seems to come pretty naturally to you and you have a very flamboyant uh, idea about ornamentation. Uh, can you talk about either like developing the color tour or developing the upper register or, you know, figuring out how to ornament stuff or all of the above? <laughs> Believe it or not, the ornaments did not come easy to me. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a tenor, mm -hmm. um, I've always had a problem with legato, like, you know, um, developing. I had a problem mm -hmm. with um, um, keeping my voice sustained. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of the times we would focus on melismas and, you know, vocalesis to get my voice moving to, to help that. So um, when I moved to countertenor, still had a problem with legato. So I was like, let's do something that moves. Um, so the first aria that I ever learned that um, moved was, um, well, it was more of a um, oratorio. And it was Exultavit from, uh, from Bach. Um, and that was very hard for me, but I figured it out. Um, and that's what I used for my auditions at that time. Um, and then I started doing the Amovia Rondro, which was still really hard, but I was like, well, if she can do it, I can do it too. Um, oh, Shirley Verrett, sorry. We'll talk about that soon. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had to really work at it. 
Um, and I remember my first role at Red River Lyric, uh, I got the role of Ptolemyo. And Ptolemyo doesn't have a lot of coloratura, but you know, it has a little line. It took me two months to really get it. So needless to say, I, I put in the work to, to feel comfortable with coloratura. Hmm. That's interesting to hear because uh, in my experience, there are people who are just sort of born with that flexibility and they can't explain how they do it. And I was thinking that you're gonna say that to me. It's like, nope, I just was always able to do it, but you've had to work at it. Mm -hmm. I do get a lot of it from my gospel side because you know, but yeah, I had to work at it. <laughs> well, since we brought it up, um, Dallas Opera Network viewers, uh, we're going to link to a video uh, or a, a YouTube video of Shirley Verrett singing Amour Vien, Rondo Monama, which is a studio recording. Uh, for you podcast listeners, uh, you'll be hearing that right now. Do you want to talk a little bit about Shirley Verrett since you brought her up and you brought up this aria? Oh, yeah. She is my queen. <laughs> she is who I want to be as a countertenor, someone who just lives in the music, does what they want, um, and takes no prisoners while singing. <laughs> That's, <laughs> yeah. That's who I aspire to be, yeah. about your uh, professional debut with American Baroque Opera Company. Um, that's a company that I'm very interested in. Um, I know that they're committed to um, fully staged and costumed uh, Baroque operas uh, with historically informed uh, instrumentation. Um, so you had just become a countertenor, I guess, and you were cast in their Montezuma. Who's that by, the Montezuma? Is that Vivaldi? Vivaldi. Okay. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about singing with that company for us? Yeah, so um, so I mentioned that I worked, I was a, I, I got my first role at Red River Lyric. So um, Eric, who is the um, the artistic director, executive art, artist director, mm -hmm. um, and executive director of um, the American Broke Opera Company, he was playing um, the cello um, during that performance. So after that performance, you know, we, he contacted me and was like, hey, I got a role for you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and it was like, it's a soprano role. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, you know, um, so that's how I got that. So, so you didn't audition for it. You just, you were at a pay to sing and it led to work. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> and how was that being in that production? Did you enjoy it? Yeah. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot there <laughs> um, because it's it was literally my second role that I've ever done. Mm -hmm. um, so 
and a lot of notes, <laughs> a lot of notes and a lot of reset. So it was a lot that I had to get used to, but I think I'm used to that now, just learning on the job. So it's mm-hmm. just part of who I am now. Um, but yeah, they were very nice. They were very supportive of me. Um, they gave me every opportunity to coach and um, prepare for this because it's a hard role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, you know, not a lot of people can sing it. So um, I was just glad just to be a part of the part of the circle. So now that you've been in this world for a little bit, I'm sure you noticed that uh, the early music community, which is, you know, a subset of the classical music community, uh, is even more white <laughs> than, <laughs> than opera is. Um, and I know we talked about this before we started recording that you are uh, working on your own initiative uh, to support your, your colleagues. You want to talk about that a little bit right now? Yeah, so um, I have a Facebook group called Black Countertenors, and it's basically just to highlight um, Black um, countertenors of color um, that showcase, you know, professionalism, great technique and everything um, to encourage um, more young Black countertenors for the new generation, because there's not a lot of of us out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I believe there has not been a countertenor yet to sing on Met stage in a production. There will be- A black um, countertenor. Yeah, a black countertenor. There will be, um, I believe John Holiday will will be singing. um, So he'll be the first countertenor to ever sing on the Met stage as a production and not a recital. Um, And the first recital is um, Derek Lee Reagan. Mm -hmm. So um, there's not that many of us working, but that doesn't mean there's not many of us. So in the group that I have, there's about over more closer over 200 countertenors in my group right now. Some who are still developing and some who have been singing all over the world. They just have not gotten that chance, that big break. So I want to, you know, get my platform and help everybody move together. So we all know John Holiday, um, Derek Lee Reagan, um, is part of that incredible Farinelli video mm-hmm. uh, where his voice was spliced with, I forget her name, Eva Podlowska or something like that, some Polish color to soprano mm-hmm. uh, for the Farinelli mashup. Um, and he also has an incredible spirituals recording, an incredible spirituals recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's Daryl Taylor, who uh, used to sing tenor and then made the switch to counter tenor. Uh, mm-hmm. Are there a couple of other you'd like to highlight for us since that's where my knowledge of black countertenor sort of goes dry. Yeah, um, so there is an upcoming um, black countertenor. His name is Carl Alexander. He's actually, I'm doing a series called Countertenor of the Month. And (laughs) he is my Mr. February today. And he is a a great singer and he should have a big career. So- Um, if you have a chance, get a listen to Carl Alexander. Oh, of course. Car- Carl's from Chicago. Hello. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. I love <laughs> Carl. Okay. I was like, how come that name sounds so familiar to me? No, no. Yeah. He's incredible. Yeah. Um, I've heard yeah. him sing a lot of different stuff. He sang uh, Honey and Rue at his mm-hmm. master's recital. And he sings the hell out of Strauss, like uh-huh. actual, like Ricard Strauss. You know? So yes. no, no, he's, he's brilliant. Yes. He sings it down. Yeah. Yeah. And also... Um, there was a countertenor who recently passed away this year. 
His name is Matthew Truss. Mm. And he had a, he was an up-and-coming countertenor. I believe he placed in Dallas Opera's competition a few years back. Um, and he had a fabulous voice. So he is one that everybody should listen to as well. Okay. Good to know. Um, so you did the Rossini challenge <laughs> with uh, which Larry Brownlee was like a, a uh, Rossini run challenge, what it was called. Uh-huh. Um, and you talked about uh, Larry Brownlee as being an inspiration to you. Um, and you just, I don't know, I feel like you've really gotten a, a good idea about how to game social media, especially with, you know, the video, the video content you've already put out. Um, is that something that just because of your age is becoming natural to you? Or is that something you, you think about the strategy for how to put yourself out there and get noticed uh, because there's not that many professional opportunities at this point? That's exactly it. Because I already knew that, you know, there's a big risk of me becoming a countertenor. You know, will I be able to get a job? Will I be able to have a career um, at all being a countertenor and Black? So I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, let's make sure that all of my audition videos are at a certain level to where I can put them on Facebook or social media to where, you know, I'll be able to get seen, um, you know, um, you know, post regularly, you know, not a lot. I don't sit down and try to calculate. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there is some thought into that because I know that, you know, it might not happen for me. So I can't have the same career path as a soprano. you know, it's just not going to be possible. So if I wanted a career, I had to put myself out there. So for those of you watching the Dallas Opera Network, we're going to link to uh, a playlist that uh, Kimon has put together. Um, And if you're listening to the uh, podcast, you will hear some of these clips uh, in the interview. Uh, Let's start with um, Cecilia Bartoli. Why did you choose... Sposa son disprezzata. And what do you love about Cecilia Bartoli? Um, there's many reasons why I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was one of the first people that inspired me to become a countertenor. Um, just the way that she sings, that everybody knows her for her coloratura. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's fabulous. But I love her for her legato and for her word phrasing. And, um that's why you know I listen to her. So Sposa Son Disprezzata, very simple music, you know, only two phrases, but the colors that she's able to, you know, put into this four-minute aria is astounding. So and yeah. And I actually sing this aria today. Oh nice. You know, I have to say that um Bartoli is somebody I'm I'm much older than you, by the way. Um as somebody I've been listening to since I was a kid. And um, this recording that she made, I think it was in like 1993, this album came out. It's a Say to Mommy. It's like the 24 Italian mm-hmm. songs. Yeah. Like she recorded this. And uh, yeah, this was clearly one of those. I mean, the whole album is fantastic, but this is clearly one of those tracks where you're like, you're listening to the album and then you get to this and like, you just like stop what you're doing because yeah. there's something so authentic. That's what her, I mean, yes, the coloratura is incredible, but you've touched upon it. She just knows how to 
make music out of the most simple things and how to put mm -hmm. feeling and heart into, yeah, into like very, very uh, on paper sort of insipid music. You know, it's a gorgeous aria, but like she just takes it to like another level. Mm -hmm. So here is Cecilia Bartoli, uh, Sposa Son Disprezzata. We talked about Shirley Verrett. Uh, you also wanted to uh, talk about Florence Quivar. What have you chosen of Florence Quivar? Um, Liber Scriptus. <laughs> Liber Scriptus. It went blank. <laughs> but yeah, this aria is just fabulous. She puts her all in this aria. Um, her consonants, her um, just her breathing, her everything. She sings from her, the tippy tips of her toes in this mm -hmm. aria. Um, and there's a part when she goes into this lower register and it's just the same note over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, but that part brings me in every single time. Hmm. So um, yeah, I just love her. Watching her sing, um, she plants herself and she creates like a posture for herself where she can really get length uh, mm -hmm. and she gets height, you know, um, in her jaw. Um, and you just sense that she has created like a column of air. Uh, and I have to say, watching you sing, I feel like you are doing the same thing. Like, I don't know if you're imitating her or if that's something that your teacher has taught you to do, but uh, that is one of the most impressive things about watching some of your videos that you seem to find the air and um, you make space for the vowels. Um, 
which is not something that we, that quality, which, you know, the end result is that um, every note has color, every note has height to it. Uh, and that's not something we normally associate with, with countertenors. We are used to hearing countertenors who, the higher they go, the more, um, you know, uh, blanche their, their tone quality becomes, the more mm-hmm. uh, the, it, the color comes out first for the sake of the flexibility and for the sake of, you know, the high notes. Uh, but you seem to want to keep, you know, the richness of your voice even on top, which is, I think, why people are just so floored by the way you sing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I think it's important. And I believe there's a big myth in countertenors that we have to do something totally different than everybody. Um, tenors are a little bit different, mm. but it's the same foundational techniques that you do with soprano to a baritone. And there's no reason why a countertenor should sing any rep without that. So, um, and but there are a lot of teachers who are not familiar with that. Um, and so a lot of countertenors just have to figure it out on their own. I, I kind of did a little bit. So um, you have to go to the greats and figure out, okay, what are they doing with their breathing? How are, are what are they doing with their jaw? Are they lifting their palate here? Are, are they moving before? What, what valor did they choose to use here? You know, and just try it out and see if it works for you. So there's a lot of that going on, but I believe every singer should be doing that anyway. So you wanted to listen to George Shirley today uh, and I'm glad you, brought him up because um, I actually have been battling with the, uh, the notion that there are so few recordings of black male singers in on complete operas, especially when it comes to 18th century music. Mm-hmm. Um, so George Shirley recorded the role of Ida Mineo and he recorded the role of um, Ferrando in Così Fan Tutte. And he's also on a really fantastic Pelias and Melisande recording, which is not 18th century. Um, but that's it. And the Ida Mineo has not been re-released since it came out in LP. And you can find the, the Fernando, Ferrando, um, is it Ferrand, Ferrando? Yeah, Ferrando. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, aside from him and let's say um, Larry Brownlee and Kenneth Tarver, uh, we would be hard pressed to find a black male singer in uh, a complete recording, a commercial recording uh, mm-hmm. opera from the 18th century or before, which is a crying shame, you know? Mm-hmm. And like now we have people like Eric Owens and Morris Robinson and Ryan Speedo Green. And, um, you know, there's a bunch of people who, you know, Mozart is in their repertoire, but mm-hmm. we're also past the era of record labels, recording everybody, recording everything, you know? So if, you know, uh, Russell Thomas, you know, gets a recording contract to record something, he's recording a flowering tree, John's, which is great. I'm glad that that recording exists, but I wanna hear, I want I want to get his Titus on record. I wanna get his, you know, mm-hmm. his men, or I wanna get his Manrico on record, you know, but um, <laughs> no, like it's, uh, we, I feel like we, missed a big wind of opportunity because when you were just a baby or before you've been born, like in the seventies, eighties and nineties, recording, classical recording was a huge industry. And uh, every, every record label 
will need it their own recording of Marriage of Figaro, their own recording of Aida, you know? So we have all these sets coming out and it gave so many opportunities for American singers and other singers, you know, to get their interpretations on record. And George Shirley, you know, was lucky in that we got his uh, Ferrando in, was it 1968 or something like that when he recorded that, but that's it for now. Um, so it's, it's really disappointing. Um, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad you wanted to hear <laughs> anything you wanted to say about George Shirley before we hear him sing from this complete recording of Cosi Fantute, which also has Lantine Price on it, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you, you already touched on it. Like when I was a tenor, there wasn't many Black, there, there just weren't Black tenors that I could listen to. You know, like you said, there was Kenneth Carver, Tarver um, um, and George Shirley. And I kind of, my voice kind of fit in between the two. Mm -hmm. So there's just, um, you know, so I would just maybe listen to Nicola Gaida or mm -hmm. Pavarotti, mm -hmm. um, but no one had my color. So mm -hmm. I was end up trying to fit in to something that, you know, just wasn't, you know, me. I wasn't singing the, my voice. I was trying to sing someone else's voice. So um, I'm just happy that there's more black tenors um, black male singers in general singing lead roles mm -hmm. um, in operas and recording um, now than ever was before. And so the last selection we're going to hear uh, <laughs> is so awesome. Uh, it's not something that uh, you probably would have ever heard on stage, but thank goodness there's a recording of it. Um, it's Lantine Price mm -hmm. singing Sempre Libra <laughs> with, with the E flat at the end. <laughs> Why did you choose this? Uh, she sings this so well. <laughs> but, but like you told me, like, yeah, she never performed this in a, 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 as a role, but she kept everything, um, her fullness, her breath support, mm -hmm. everything that made Lantine her in this aria. Yeah. Um, and I sometimes think this is the best that she's ever sung. Mm -hmm. um, even though she never really sang this um, for real, like in a, in a role, but it just inspires me. Every time I hear it, I kind of like, what is she doing? 
but she didn't you know I cannot do that so yeah it always inspires me so I make an argument sometimes that people who are like Mozart and Strauss specialists tend to not be bel canto specialists and vice versa people who are really good at bel canto sometimes can't do the more instrumental singing that is required in Mozart we know that she sings the heck out of uh, Donna Anna and Donna Elvira and Fiordaligi. Yes. Um, and yet she can do something like this, which clearly comes from, you know, this is the end of bel canto. And this is asking everything that a bel canto uh, prima donna needs to sing. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows what would have her career have been like had she, you know, gone down that road, you know, um, I mean, her career was at a time when there were great bel canto singers and, you know, mm-hmm. so maybe choosing the Verdi path, which thank God she did, you know, but um, mm-hmm. may- maybe that was just more logical for her. Um, but yeah, I mean, like she's doing everything that you want in this piece, you know, uh, and the tone is always beautiful and uh it's risky singing on top of it you know and i don't mm-hmm. associate her necessarily with this, somebody who's risky i mean it's always gorgeous and she always goes for her phrases but this is sort of like um you know lantine price walking a tightrope you know and she does it you know and, mm-hmm. she, and she lands the dismount <laughs> <laughs> so here is from her uh series of recordings that were called the prima donna volumes. I forget which one this is, but uh, here is Sempre Libra from La Traviata. Thanks again to Kiman Mura, who is currently, we didn't talk about this, but he is currently a young artist with Florida Grand Opera, and he gives a full concert on March 10th, as I believe, uh, as part of his apprenticeship. So look out for that March 10th. We'll probably amplify it on our social media. And he also wanted me to let you know that he will be singing the role of Bertarido in Handel's Rotolinda at the Aspen Music Festival this coming summer, conducted by Patrick Summers. Very cool. Thank you, Oliver, and thanks again to Kiman Marak. I don't watch college basketball, so I wouldn't know that my number three Michigan Wolverines beat our hated rival, <laughs> the number four Ohio State Buckeyes, over the weekend. I think Ashley, that's uh, the Ohio State, George. you oh, got to get the article in there. Kevin Mather out in Seattle. What gives? Why? I, okay. <laughs> I have a feeling that not everybody knows a whole lot about this besides George Senior Frog and me. Um, so in a move that surprises no one after remarks that sadly also surprise no one, 
Kevin Mather was the CEO of the Seattle Mariners. He resigned this afternoon. He was at a Rotary Club meeting for some local chapter earlier this month. And in the course of 45 minutes, talking off the cuff, he disparaged a Japanese player for not learning English. He belittled a second star prospect from the Dominican Republic also for his language skills, and then complained that one of the franchise's best players over the past decade was overpaid. So all of this just came to light literally in the last couple of days. And yeah, yeah, it's, Thanks for finally owning up to it and making phone calls all afternoon to apologize. But why did you do it in the first place? Like, <laughs> why did you, for a sport that is so in need of players from countries that are not the United States, why in mm, God's yeah. name would you disparage English skills? It's so cruel. It, it, re- it. it is a general rule that only bad thing ha- things happen when people speak off the cuff around other rich people. <laughs> so true. I, just, I wouldn't know. I know two rich people and I see them once a year. And most of the time I just feel wholly inadequate the entire time. So I'm barely speaking, let alone saying inappropriate things. I save that for you guys. Oh, like, thanks, if, Ashley. If it was, if it was a, uh, a major artistic director of an American opera company who disparaged a Japanese singer for not learning English, belittled a second singer prospect from the DR for her language skills, and complained that opera's best singer over the past decade was overpaid, I wonder what would happen to that person. Two-minute drill, coming up now. This just in. The Two Minute Drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Opera Land this week. This week in trading news, a friend of the show and the most sought after director in the time of COVID, your favorite, James Dara, will become artistic director and chief creative officer at Long Beach Opera. His new contract begins immediately. The Boston Symphony Orchestra has appointed Gail Samuel as its first female president and CEO. Samuel comes to Boston with 25 years in senior leadership at the LA Philharmonic. The Juilliard School welcomes bass baritone alum Kevin Short to its voice faculty beginning in the fall of 2021. Short is a prolific performer and has sung at top opera houses around the world, including regular performances at the Metropolitan Opera. Short joins Denise Graves and pianist Howard Watkins as one of only three black artists on the Juilliard voice and opera faculty. They should hire our own Oliver Camacho, who would connect them cumulatively. One Mexican, one Filipino, and one gay. Truly a triple threat. <laughs> Me. This week in honorifics, Sonia Yoncheva has received the title of Honorary Citizen of Plovdiv, Bulgaria. Yoncheva thanked the awards committee, saying, I feel so honored to be awarded the title of Honorary Citizen. I am thankful to my hometown for this extraordinary recognition, and I will continue to work as a cultural ambassador of Bulgaria and Plovdiv with passion and faith. Ashley, your Bulgarian accent is dreadful. After over 130,000 views, Opera Rome will extend its streaming production of E. Puditani, starring friend of the show, Larry Brownlee. Puritani can be streamed on operaroma.tv for free until February 28. They are clearly trying to compete with Kimon Mara's video views. This week in Shame, Anna Nishrepko has once again put her foot in her mouth over face masks during the global pandemic. In a social media post, the soprano called it a crime against health, voice, lungs, and heart to wear a mask, and said that she, quote, refuse and protest to sing an opera in mask. Red X emoji, red X emoji, red X emoji. This is the latest in a series of tone-deaf social media posts about the pandemic from Natrepko, 
whom we must remind you was literally once hospitalized for COVID-19. The Baltimore Symphony is distancing itself from remarks made on social media by principal flutist Emily Scala, who questioned the safety of COVID vaccines and the results of the recent U.S. presidential election. Said the symphony's official Facebook account, Ms. Scala does not speak for the BSO, nor do her statements reflect our core values or code of conduct grounded in humanity and respect. IATSE, the union representing stage workers and not the popular dice game, is encouraging donors and government officials to withdraw financial support for the Met. Quote, since the pandemic hit, only a few artistic and technical trades workers have been employed by the Met, barely affecting the company's financial bottom line, reads an online ad from Yahtzee. Yet that didn't stop Peter Gelb, the Metropolitan Opera's general manager, from backstabbing these stagecraft and design employees in preparing for this year's season. Without people, the opera is nothing. All right, this week's yellow cards. Switzerland. The Swiss Federal Council has decided to begin a gradual relaxation of its nationwide lockdown and plans to reopen the cultural sector in April. The UK. Glyndebourne Festival has announced its revised 2021 season running from May 20th to August 29th. And Opera Holland Park has announced a season running from June to August. France. Marseille and Paris are organizing experimental concerts for March and April with face masks and negative COVID tests required for entry. USA. San Diego Opera has announced a new spring season to open in late April. The drive-in performances will include a concert and an open-air production of The Barber of Seville. USA again! San Francisco Opera will also hop on the drive-in bandwagon in April, down to the choice of Barber of Seville. We here at OBS feel safe calling that a yellow card, but we're not prepared to make a decision on whether that's copyright infringement. This week's red cards... Austria! Folks over Wien and Landestheater Linz will remain closed until future notice, but we'll continue rehearsals for Prokofiev's The Fiery Angel, which they hope can still go up in March. The Theater under Wien has also announced that it will be shut down until Easter. Germany. The Bavarian State Opera has canceled performances for the first half of March following the extension of the country's lockdown to March 7th. France. Paris's Opera Comique has canceled its upcoming production of La Belle Hélène, which was supposed to run from March 1st to the 11th. USA. Carnegie Hall has finally thrown in the towel, joining the other major New York classical music institutions to shut down the rest of their 2021 season. On the disabled list, Zubin Mehta is out of the hospital after landing there last week due to overexertion and stress, though he remained off the podium for La Scala's production of Zalame last week. Lentissimo, maestro, eh? Exit stage right, French soprano Andrea Guillot has died at the age of 93 due to COVID-19. Guillot specialized in Italian and French roles, especially Manon, Mimi, and Michaela, in her long career as a member of the Paris Opera. Greek director and author Vasilis Nikolaitis has died at the age of 67. He was known for his work at the Greek National Opera starting in the 90s and for the book Maria Callas, The Transformations of an Art, which was published in 1983. English conductor and pianist Stuart Bedford has died at the age of 81. From 1974 to 1998, Bedford was one of the artistic directors of the Aldeburgh Festival and performed at major opera companies throughout his career. He is especially known for his interpretation of the works of Benjamin Britten, whose final opera, Death in Venice, was premiered under Bedford's baton. Music critic Peter G. Davis has died at the age of 84. Davis's sharply opinionated reviews of all forms of classical music, but especially opera and the voice, 
could be read over a 50-year career at the New York Times and New York Magazine. And on this day, February 22nd, in 1722, it was the first performance of Giovanni Bononcini's opera Griselda in London. Two operas by Niccolo Piccini premiered this day, L'Americano in Rome in 1772 and Atis in Paris in 1780. In 1876, it was the birth of Italian tenor Giovanni Zenatello in Vienna. The Emanuele Volferrari version of La Cenerentola premiered in 1900 at La Fenice in Venice. In 1925, it was the birth of Italian soprano Gigliola Frazzoni, who created the role of Mother Marie in the Dialogues of the Carmelites. And in 1930, it was the birth of American soprano and ghost singer extraordinaire Marnie Nixon in Altadena, California. And that's your two-minute drill. So that was Marnie Nixon uh, singing the aria from Bacchianas Brasileiras by Villalobos. Matt? You may not know her name. Well, you do if you pay attention to like Hollywood scuttlebutt from mid-century. But Which you definitely mad, specifically. Yeah, I mean, you definitely know her. That's also my drag name, Hollywood scuttlebutt. <laughs> Hollywood scuttlebutt from the mid-century. Uh she did the ghost sing the ghost voice for the singing voices of Marilyn Monroe and Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, which means that diamonds <laughs> are really her best friend. Uh, oh. Deborah Carr in The King and I, Natalie Wood in West Side Story, and most famously Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady. Like those are incredibly different musical roles, and she did all of them, and like sounds a lot like the person that she's trying to dub for in each case. Like she was a phenomenal talent. And what a thankless job, too, you know, uh, just, you know, especially in that era of Hollywood, you know, there was just like, oh, well, you we want that we want the face and the, we'll the tell Audrey Hepburn that we'll use her takes, but really yeah. we're not going to. And then she watches the movie and she's like, I sound amazing. <laughs> I sound exactly like Marnie Nixon. I'm glad we can celebrate her life. I hope we can also celebrate Stuart Bedford for me. When someone like this dies, the the man who conducted Death in Venice, it's like one more link between us and the present and Benjamin Britten has gone. And I, I'm mm. I'm saddened by that. I'm really, really saddened by that. I mean we I, forget I, that we forget that, you know, we think of Benjamin Britten as one of these master composers of opera and it wasn't that long ago that he was alive. I mean yeah, really we really wasn't. we have a connection to the, the first performances through people like Stuart Bedford and the artists that sang in those operas. And the, the recordings that he conducted of those operas are so great. They're yeah. even better in a lot of cases than the ones that Britton himself conducted, just because the technical skill and execution from a pianist and conductor by fully trade just really brings them all together and makes Absolutely. them work. It's They're like a the lot same. more accurate. And yeah. it's like how, like, you know, sometimes poets should not read their own poetry. Sometimes it's better when it's in the hands of, of other people, possibly. Sometimes you need uh, a tenor other, other than Peter Pears to sing, and that's okay. Some, and that's okay. Sometimes you you need Anna Netrebko just to have something to cry about. Oh, I don't God. know if it's cry as much as it is shout or drink or do shots or, okay, 
I, I was joking about this earlier, but I think we are going to have to start a segment for me on this show called I Cannot With This Heifer. Because the second, <laughs> the second I saw this post today, those were the first words that came out of my mouth. I cannot with this heifer. And it's like, you guys, I get, I have one of the greatest jobs in the world. Number one, I get to hang out with you guys. Number two, I get to talk Aww. about an amazing art form. Number three, I often get to come on here and break news about the first black person to do this in this art form. The first woman to be a conductor or the CEO of an orchestra. I love that I get to do that. And it's so, it's so rewarding for me. But for each one of those, there are each, like five of those, there's some Netrebko or some symphony flutist COVID denier election questioner that just like <laughs> knocks the whole wind out of my sails. And mm-hmm. I want to clarify something really quick. Uh, when I say I cannot with this heifer, heifer is not pejorative about anybody's size because we do not shame. We do not body shame on the show. Heifer is about their vileness and their blackness of heart and their tone deafness to humanity. And for that, they are ugly heifers. Um, and what I, I just, okay. I don't know if you guys have seen the actual photograph. So she, she posts this thing with all the red emojis and is like, I protest. So she's put up a photo of herself wearing this bedazzled mask that yeah. she's going to protest and refuse to wear. First of all, it's that a, mask... It's a good-looking mask. That mask slaps. It looks amazing. <laughs> I would wear that with, like, an audition outfit. It's you gorgeous. You would be so lucky. It, it that, looks, ma- it, that mask makes her look like Davy Jones from Pirates of the Caribbean 2. <laughs> it looks like it looks like a, it looks like a picture she would send to her publicist publicist and say, "Say, see, I'm not saying anything this time that will get me into trouble." And the publicist was like, "Oh, she's wearing a mask in the picture, not reading the comment below." <laughs> well, because the first <laughs> like, line oh, of it, fine. you can't quite tell what side of masks she's about yeah, to you come don't know down where it's on. Going. And then all of a sudden, it takes. Uh, it takes turn. a bad turn. Meanwhile, uh, the Baltimore Symphony is not using any sort of publicist when it comes to their flute player <laughs> no. and her voice. I, uh, you know, I just, when you have a job like that, I don't know what within you says, hey, you know what I should say? This controversial thing. It's just, I don't understand. Well, first of all, the notion of the election fraud, we've covered that, guys. We've covered it. We've gone over it. Why would you say something about it? Last Thursday, like we've covered it. Second of all, the whole vaccinations and hoax and COVID is not real. I, I don't know what rock you have to live under to to believe that. Maybe it's an orchestral rock that has a flute on it. But uh, good on Baltimore <laughs> for just being like hot potato, not it, and backing away. Good on them. Yeah, but they haven't fired her yet. No, they just rebuked her. Yeah, and honestly, yeah. maybe that's the way to go. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's enough it, of a cancel-worthy thing. It's tricky because it, as as much as she's the principal flutist of the symphony, but she's not like a star on like the, the like an Anna Netrebko. Like, we're referring to her as the flutist and not Anna Netrebko, as she likes to proclaim herself to be so often. Um, <laughs> I am Anna Netrebko. <laughs> well, she is Anna Netrebko in her defense. Oh, that's so who you are. Yeah. But that's the only part said. I will defend. <laughs> Which is I mean, what she said in all caps to somebody that was trolling her on the Facebook post. <laughs> I'll post that, post that little screenshot here. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you, here's who you don't want trolling you is is those men and women of uh, Ayatsi. Wow. Yahtzee. Yahtzee. Encouraging donors and government officials to withdraw financial support for them. Now, that is some hard ball. It's kind of amazing. I don't know how... That's gangster. 
I don't is, know how like that a, is teamster. That is some teamster stuff. I don't know if that's like a a, a super common tactic, but like it, it's really interesting because they're they're taking out public ads, trying to convince uh you know normal donors to withdraw their money from the Met, and they're literally like going to government officials. They're like lobbying people to be like, hey, remove government funding from the Met until these workers are back in place, and. Oh man, I feel like every week this these negotiations get nastier and nastier. Well, like that's kind of how union negotiations tend to go in almost every circumstance. True, but that... I feel I feel like every every week there's like an escalation even beyond what I thought was as as bad as it was going. We're just going to be. we're going with dueling press releases and now like parents are getting called, people are getting put in timeout. Well, <laughs> dueling press releases does that have a theme song like dueling banjo and dueling recitals too yeah 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 yeah, yeah yahtzee <laughs> i have to do it every time yahtzee so we've been talking about uh these met union labor disputes almost every week now and something we talk about every week also seems to be james dara we will have to say his name every week. Golden James boy, Dara. James Dara. James Dara. James Dara. We love you, James Dara. Congratulations on your new job. This is also the James Dara show. He is coming for Alexander Neef. Better watch his back. It's Opera Box Score with James Dara. I'm James Dara. Joined by my co-host, James Dara. James Dara. James Dara. And James Dara. Can you change that thought bubble behind you to say James Dara? He's, so, so all day uh, I dream about James Dara. Long, Long Beach, of course. Um, Andreas Medesek went to Long Beach for Chicago Opera Theater. No, he was doing both at the same time. Yeah, he was that, two-timing. That's true. He was he was two-timing at that point. We call it anything, but sure. He stepped down in uh, twenty nineteen. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. And then um, Yuval Sharon took over for a sort of a, and it was a, it was like an interim position. I, I think I, I don't think. Yeah, Sharon uh, was supposed to be there, you know, long term. It's a it's a great hire, right? I mean, James Dara, like he cut, he's uh, grew up in L.A. He cut his teeth at UCLA in film. Clearly, like the guy wants to be in that city. There's a ton of art happening. He's got those film chops. It's a it's a great hire, and it's it's really exciting to see. I want him to make like a Wandavision opera. Ooh, that same kind of like blending the old and the new. Is that before or after he becomes the sixth host of Opera Box Score? <laughs> Why not both? Why not at the same time? We need to le- lose one cis white male in order to incorporate him. So. <laughs> That's fair. Oh, <laughs> wow. Um, you know what I will say though. We, we can we can keep on with the with the James Dare, but something that's got to stop is is the drive-in operas. <laughs> I, I, I seriously, maybe it's because I hate driving. Uh, you know, like I get around on bike most of the time, but. I, I don't get it, right? Like, I, I get that it gives some people accessibility. My question is, at what cost? Right? Well, I, I think it's so a great, I, th- I think it's a great op- option if you're like a young teen from the 50s and you want to go neck with your, your, your main girl in the, in the yeah. seat uh, at Lookout Point watching, Tubular. uh, watching, watching a Barbara Diesel Seville Dutton. specifically. <laughs> oh, oh, so I romantic. Love Barbara that. Seville. <laughs> Fun fact, uh, there was, I will not name which of my uh, girlfriends I've had over the years who I did this with, but I did take them to Votsek uh, for their first opera. <laughs> so, did, yeah. yeah. Wow. You know, something approachable. <laughs> I just, I, for me, for me, what turns my stomach about it is, is the environmental impact. Like, 
we should be moving away from the horrors of climate change. And I think theater, which is already a wasteful art form in the way that it builds sets and throws them away and builds costumes and Mm. by and large throws them away. I think this art form needs to, let's get out the Sharpie. I think this art form needs to step up and take responsibility for climate change. And I don't think that drive-in opera is the way to do it. So you're not going to be financing your next opera with Bitcoin? (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, say that again. <laughs> You're not going to be financing your next opera in, with Bitcoin, but maybe you will be financing it a, a big move to the supremely walkable and bikeable, bikeable city of Plovdiv. Plovdiv, Plovdiv. Oh, it's so fun where we to all say. where we all want to live in a, in a town that honors its citizens, like Sonia yeah. Yoncheva. It's it's dark. <laughs> it's a dark L, right? Is it Plovdiv? It's pl- Plovdiv. Everybody all and together the, now. And Plovdiv. 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 There yes. it is. We're getting it. We're getting uh, it. I think it's so. F- I think there's like a bit of like a translation thing happening because I think she's from Plovdiv, isn't she? I, it's I don't know how she's coming. Up. A hometown, but she's also an honorary citizen. We assume she means that that means like she gets the key to the city. Yeah, it's the second largest city in Bulgaria, so that's pretty good. I, by, population by population or by land area? <laughs> I think it's by population because okay, the biggest okay, the biggest city by population is Sofia, but the largest by <laughs> land area is Pleven. If you were wondering, I looked this up. Why do you know this? Show. Why do you know Let's... this? Has been Opera Bulgaria score <laughs> with James. Dara. James Dara. Let's wrap this show up. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. <laughs> oh my, this is a bizarre hour. Good call, bad call. Uh, Oliver Camacho, what do you got? Um, it is our last show for Black History Month, and um, I just wanted to point out a really great little article written by the uh, conductor of Chicago's Modern Opera Orchestra project. Her name is Renee Baker. And you can find that on Chicago Symphony Orchestra's website. And in this article, um, she just bigs up um, like 18 or 17 different composers that you should know. Uh, I knew most of them, but there were some that I didn't. And I think whatever we can do to like amplify, you know, that there are other composers besides, well, the white guys. And besides Florence Price and besides William Grant still. And like props to them. They need their moment. But... There are others, uh, so let's let's not uh, just end this in February. Yeah. Link to that on our website, operaboxscore.com. Matt Cummings. It's in variety. Zachary James is doing a show. <laughs> we'll just uh, <laughs> celebrating after the spectacular debut of his show on Dallas Opera, friend of the show, Zachary James's. Uh, it was announced this weekend that he is going to be doing a virtual concert with Des Moines Metro Opera, Zachary James on Broadway. Uh, that's going to be March 19th, and we will have more information about how to watch our friend Zach on our website. Well, if it's in the pages of Variety, it must be true, right, Weston? Ashley Hardgrave. <laughs> it's never not funny. Every week it's funny to me. Um, <laughs> so we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but they're starting to get more and more press. So I just want to congratulate them. English National Opera and their pairing singers with long COVID patients for the program uh, E&O Breeze. They're serving about a thousand patients right now and they're trying to expand it all over the UK. Uh, and they're getting a lot of really great feedback from the long COVID patients. And one of the one of the patients mentioned that it's helping her not only physically, but emotionally. And I was like, yes, that is awesome. I get it's 
when people outside of your community start to understand one of the things that makes our community so emotionally gratifying in terms of how we make the noise and the sound and the art, it's it's very rewarding. So I hope this is something that continues to spread across continents to help everybody with long COVID. I have a bad call, unfortunately. Last night I had a dream about OBS and taping the show. And can I just say, like, I can barely stand all of you on a Zoom call, let alone, like, invading my REM sleep. So please just go away and leave me in peace. James Dara. James Dara. James Dara. That's it Love for this Div. week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about, about Lobdiv. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. He's at normadell.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Opera Box Score. Help us deepen the bench of listeners by liking and sharing our social media posts. Email at us at operaboxscore at gmail.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher or just favorite our show on Apple Podcasts. The views and opinions expressed on Opera Box Score are solely those of the show's creative team. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of the accounts of this show without the express written consent of Opera Box Score would be smooth sipping. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. Our audio and video editor is Weston Williams. For our guest, Kimon Mara, and your co-hosts, Matt Cummings and Ashley Hardgrave, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you plan your Mexican getaway. We're back with an all-new show next week when we go inside the huddle with the Ryan Opera Center ensemble pianist Chris Reynolds. Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more body shots. Join us. <laughs>